What a great day the Lord has given us. As you're turning to Jonah chapter 3, let me just say that um, we're never going to get Jonah to Nineveh before we deal with uh, Michael Packard of Massachusetts, are we? I can't tell you how many of you have already asked me this morning, did you, did you see, did you, did you hear about? I did. Uh, many of you were kind enough to send me copies of the, the news reports. Friday, a 56-year-old 50, lobster diver uh, was gulped into the mouth of a humpback whale off the coast of uh, Provincetown, Massachusetts. Did you hear about this? Of course. And this fellow, Michael Packard, spent the longest 30 seconds of his life <laughs> in that whale's mouth, waiting to be crushed, uh, waiting to be swallowed. Uh, but the creature instead surfaced, spat him out, and, and Packard was fished out of the sea by his fellow uh, lobstermen. Um, and he was able to breathe throughout this entire ordeal because he still had his diving apparatus on and he suffered no serious injuries. And um, begs the question, how did that happen, right? Well, here's how one person explains it. A whale expert uh, from the New England Aquarium told the Cape Cod News, have you read the Cape Cod News? <laughs> Michael Packard survived simply because humpback whales tend to be altruistic toward humans. Quote, uh, it's perfectly believable uh, that the whale was trying to help him. Um, now, here's the thing. W whether you f find the hospitality of whales um, <laughs> with respect to humans perfectly believable or not, um, God's Word says this. And it, and, it, and it keeps coming to our attention in our study of Jonah, doesn't it? Uh, God is sovereign over all things. He is the king of kings. He's the king of all of his creation. And all creation obeys the commands of its creator. Sinful man is the anomaly in that sense in all of creation. And it's divine authority, not the whale's altruism, that best explains how Jonah was swallowed whole uh, and yet lived on. And Jonah wasn't just you know, savored for a few seconds like a, like a cough drop, like this fellow Michael Packard. Jonah stayed in that fish's belly three days, three nights, and then he was vomited onto dry land, very much alive and very eager from that day forward to travel only by land. And, and the thing of it is, is it, it's, the, it's, the, it's the nature of God, not the nature of whales, uh, that Jonah confronts us with in his short narrative. Jonah's a book about God. There's not so much to do with Jonah. It's not so much to do with the fish. It's to do with God. What is God like? Well, God is sovereign. God rules over all things, and his rule is supreme. Uh, wind, waves, whales, all of it are the Lord's, and they serve God's sovereign purposes always. And with his sovereign rule, what is God doing? Well, he is graciously granting rescue from his wrath towards sin for all of his people through the work of Christ. 
And Jonah declared this work of God from the fish's belly, didn't he? He said, salvation is of the Lord. Jonah, though he had disobeyed God, uh, was not punished by the great fish. Do you remember that? Please tell me you remember that. It's only been a couple weeks. Uh, Jonah was instead preserved by the great fish, and he was prepared in that fish for future usefulness to God. And that's where we last left Jonah, on dry land. Uh, And he's going to show us that salvation is this miraculous work of God, and yet it involves a messenger, and it involves a message, and it involves a miracle. Just those three things we'll see in Jonah 3. Look at verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. And he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God. We'll stop there. In many ways, when we begin in Jonah 3, it seems that we're starting the story of Jonah all over again, doesn't it? I mean, if we were just to compare Jonah 1 uh, with Jonah 3, notice the similarities. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, uh, the, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and do what? Cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And then the second time the word comes to Jonah, the word is Go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. It's a new beginning for Jonah, isn't it? And the Bible is full of new beginnings. The word of the Lord comes to his church again this day with with, with a new beginning. What, What does God have for his church to do today, do you suppose, in our times? Has has the word of the Lord to his people changed? Both times, the commission to Jonah involves going and it involves proclaiming. And you realize as you read through your Bible that whether you're in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, God has always been in the business of saying to his people, hey, you go proclaim. Over and over and over again. That was God's command to Israel. Remember, Israel was to be a light to the Gentiles. God's witness people to the nations. And God said to Jonah, go, (laughs) proclaim. And God says to his church today, go and proclaim. Jesus said before his ascension to heaven, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And so God says to his people still today, you, you who are the recipients of grace, you who are the great beneficiaries of God's outrageous mercy in Christ towards sinners, you go and proclaim. Proclaim the urgent news of God's judgment of sin. Proclaim the good news 
of God's mercy toward repentant sinners. Be sure of this. To be a Christian is to be someone whom God has preserved and prepared for this very purpose. You're an ambassador of God's mercy to fellow sinners. Salvation is of the Lord. And as I mentioned earlier, this great work of God in saving his own, saving his people, involves a messenger, and it involves a message, and it involves a miracle. So let's, let's just look at the messenger. Verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. What, let's just think about Jonah for a moment and what we know about him thus far. Um, what, what is it that commends him to gospel ministry thus far? Uh, probably just the fact that he's been called of God, right? God preserves and God prepares his people to serve as his messengers. Those, those are Jonah's qualifications. Because as we've considered the life of Jonah, we have seen that Jonah is really a kind of a mixed bag, isn't he? Can you imagine what it is to be kind of a mixed bag? His resume is just a mixture of successes and failures in terms of his qualifications. Jonah had been a prominent, influential prophet to Israel, the northern kingdom. Jonah had been well-respected in that role, and he had been comfortable and secure in that role. In fact, part of his reason for not wanting to go to Nineveh had to do with not wanting to let go of his comfort and his security. But how many of you know God is far less interested in what you once were than what you are now? Let me say that again. God is far less interested in what you once were than what you are now. And God is far less interested in what you plan to do for him one day in the future than what you are doing for him right now. It's it's the present that is the issue for God's people. It's who you are now and and what you're doing now that 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 is always the issue. So at this point in Jonah's narrative, he is not known to us for his successes. He's best known to us for his failures, his disobedience, his running away from God's word. And still in our day, Jonah is perhaps best remembered more for his pouting than for his preaching. So Jonah's a mixed bag, and yet, and yet, He's allowed to have a part in the greatest gospel harvest that is recorded in your Bible. So be encouraged this morning. Do you mind being encouraged? All of God's ambassadors are mixed bags. Every one of us. That's why we need Jesus. That's the whole point. We are qualified to be gospel ambassadors, not because we've got everything figured out, not because we've got a a wonderful track record in our past, and not because we've got great plans to serve God in our future. We've simply been preserved and prepared by God for this purpose. Don't forget that. The messenger's confidence is not in themselves, but in God. You who are saved people, 
have a unique experience with God's mercy, just as Jonah now has a unique experience with God's mercy that is going to be put to use as he serves God as one of his ambassadors for the gospel. And and before we we travel with Jonah to Nineveh, let's just consider why Jonah disobeyed the first time. Because it's possible, I'm just guessing, but it's possible that there are some among us this morning who are disobeying God's plain command to serve as his messengers. It's possible. We've considered Jonah's prejudice toward those people. We've considered Jonah's indifference toward those people. Uh, we've considered Jonah's preoccupation with his, his, the way he wanted his life to be, his comfort, his security. But I'm going to summarize all of that this morning and simply say that Jonah was shaped by the times that he lived in. Jonah was shaped by the times that he lived in. What do I mean by that? He was just doing what everybody else in Israel was doing. He's a professional religious guy, but he's still going the way of the rest of the country. Everybody else in Israel was preoccupied with their comfort and security as well. Everybody else in Israel was indifferent to the lost. Everybody else in Israel was prejudiced toward the Assyrians. That was as common as air and water in Israel at this time. Israel hated Assyria. Everybody else in Israel presumed upon God's favor because of their national identity, if you can imagine such a thing. So Jonah was shaped by the times he lived in. Do you suppose that's true of us? We who are called to be God's gospel messengers, are we not shaped by the times we live in? And so God sent a great storm And he sent a great fish to awaken this sleepy prophet to the reality that he had been shaped by God for his times. And do you realize that's true of you and it's true of me? That we've been shaped by God for our times? We're not to be shaped by our times? Why do you exist? Why do you live right now in this generation, in this point in human history? Of all of the mysteries there are to that, one has been cleared up by Scripture. You're an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here is Jonah, a mixed bag of successes and failures, shaped by his world more than he has been shaped for his world, to bring the message of God's mercy to others. And let me just point out something that commends Jonah to us. And it's super obvious. <laughs> it's the notable difference between Jonah 1 and Jonah 3. Jonah 3 says Jonah arose and he actually went to Nineveh. See how complicated this is? I mean, you, should be, you should be taking notes. You should be on the other side of the page by now. Jonah actually went. That's the difference. God uses Jonah despite his spotty track record. God uses Jonah despite his being unduly influenced by his culture. Uh, God uses Jonah because Jonah is obedient to his commission. Jonah arose and went. The primary qualification of God's messengers is not some track record from the past. 
And it isn't some big plan for the future. It's simply obedience in the present. So it's to his people today that God says to us through his word, you go proclaim. Oh, but I've got a past. It's forgiven in Christ. Well, I've got great plans in the future. I'm gonna, when I'm retired, Lord, you're going to be surprised at what I do for you. You're not promised tomorrow. I've numbered your days, and you don't know the number. It's the present that's of issue, isn't it? How it must have grieved the Holy Spirit when Jonah ignored his commission the first time. I, I, I wonder this morning how the Holy Spirit is grieved when we neglect to do the primary thing that God has made plain for us to do. You see, Jonah's great sin was not that he, he robbed the first bank of Joppa or something horrible like that by human measure. In fact, Jonah seems to be kind of squeaky clean by human measure. Jonah's great sin was that he did not do what God had plainly revealed for him to do. And so we can't read this text and not ask ourselves, what, what about me? What about us? So often we think of grieving the Holy Spirit in terms of some overt sin by human measure. But do we realize that the Holy Spirit is grieved when we simply fail to step into the mission that God has given us to perform? What a great irony it is that so many of us could talk for hours with another believer about the doctrine of election or the second coming of Christ. Some of you have actually figured out when you think you have when the Lord is going to return. And it's, it's just amazing to me. And, and, and you, you should just stop doing that. <laughs> but at the same time, we're talking about all of that stuff. Have we even mentioned the name of Jesus to somebody in our lives who doesn't know Jesus in the last year? Can you imagine a bunch of mechanics studying their trade and going to all the conventions and then they meet weekly to go over their thoughts on how to fix cars and yet they never fix anybody's car? I mean, we laugh at that because it just sounds ridiculous. But, but, but is that very different from God's people ignoring his commission? I'm, I'm afraid that that is the, the state of much of the church in America today. The great commission for many of us is the great omission. Grieving the Spirit of God. And we think, well, yeah, God has his elect. And God's elect will be saved. That is true. But listen, God's means of advancing his kingdom is through his messengers who speak forth a message. And it is God who works the miracle of the changed heart. Now, are, are we okay some scholars believe that the fish actually vomited Jonah out 
right on the shores of ancient Israel. Uh, maybe that's possible. Um, you can see from this first map, uh, still, uh, down at the bottom, that's Joppa, basically. Uh, and, and you can see what a great distance it is to go to Nineveh. There are other scholars, though, who think the whale probably vomited Jonah out somewhere uh, in Turkey, what we call modern-day Turkey. But either way, you can still see from the maps that Nineveh is a long ways away. That's like a three-sandal trip, right? I mean, that one pair is not going to do that. Um, he's got a long ways to go, um, and he's got a, a long journey in which he can think about how difficult his commission really is. How scary these Ninevites really are. And I believe that that's where some of us are when it comes to speaking up for Jesus. We have a lot of time to think about how scary those people are and how impossible this mission from our king seems to be by human measure. And we forget that we're not supposed to use human measure. It's got nothing to do with that. And just, just consider the example of Jonah. The very name Nineveh had, had come to be synonymous with evil. When, 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 when people heard the name Nineveh, they thought of, of you know, ISIS. Something comes to your mind when you, when you hear that expression. And the city was founded by Noah's great-grandson, a guy by the name of Nimrod. And, and his name actually means rebel or one who rebels. And Nimrod was actually born into a pristine world after the flood. But it didn't take Satan very long at all to use people like Nimrod uh, to stir up rebellion against God. In fact, Nimrod is, is associated with the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. And, and I mention all of this history just to drive home the point that for people who lived in ancient Israel, uh, the, the, their perspective was that the evil of Nineveh and anybody who came from Nineveh had very, very deep roots, generation upon generation of wickedness. These people, from the, from the standpoint of Israelites, were, were the most unlikely converts you could possibly think of. And God says, go to them. Go to them. Nineveh was a thriving trade city. It was positioned along an ancient trade route so that its riches were well known in the ancient world. But none of that wealth and none of that power impressed God at all. The Assyrians were infamously brutal people. They were known to impale people on poles and let them bake in the sun decapitation and dismemberment was just the way that they dealt with their enemies. Who were their anybody? enemies? Anybody who wasn't them. In fact, when the Assyrians eventually defeated the Israelite city of Lachish, uh, they used Hebrew slaves to build the siege ramp and then forced them to attack their own kinsmen. No Israelite had warm, fuzzy feelings for any Assyrian. And God says, you... Jonah, go to Nineveh and proclaim for this great task of reaching what to us would be the most hard-hearted, God-rejecting sinners on the planet. He sends one messed up man, Jonah. 
My point is simply this. The power of God to save is in his gospel, not in his messengers. And you and I do well to remember this. The power is not in us. The gospel is the power of God to save. Uh, the, The power of the gospel does not lie in the messenger, but in the God of the message. Paul says this to the Romans, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. This power comes from God himself, and it's made plain to us in the simplicity of the message that Jonah was to preach. Look at verse 2. Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. Don't come up with your own stuff. No, no need to ad lib. Uh, no need. There, there's no bait and switch. Don't pull any punches. Just give the message. And, and what is the message? Well, notice that the gospel is a message of warning from God. If we have not warned those who are alienated from God that judgment is coming, we haven't preached the gospel. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Eight words in English. That's the message. Not super complicated, but it's urgent. God relentlessly pursues the people of Nineveh. And so he relentlessly redirects his prophet to go to Nineveh. Why is this so urgent? Well, the scripture says that God has taken notice of the sins of the people of Nineveh. That was one of the first things we read in in Jonah chapter 1. Go to Nineveh, cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. What a curious thing that is. Their wickedness has come up before me. God is all-seeing, and God is all-knowing. And that means nobody gives God memos about stuff to keep him informed about what's happening in his world. And yet the Scripture says to us, The wickedness has come up before the Lord. Do you realize that when the scripture speaks of God discovering a people's sin, it's a sign of his mercy? The greatest curse that can ever be brought to a nation, the greatest curse that can ever be brought to a person would simply be for God to ignore their sin. Romans 1 says that God ignores some people's sin. Did you know that? And he will ignore it until the certain day of judgment when his wrath is poured out on all sin. Romans 1.24 says God gave some up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts. Verse 26, God gave them up to vile passions. God gave them over to a debased mind to do things that which are not fitting. The worst thing that can happen to you is for God to um, ignore your sin in the short term. For God to not take notice of your sin is a sign of his wrath toward you. For God to take notice of your sin and send someone to confront you with your sin is a sign of his mercy. I think we sometimes forget 
when we feel the tug on our hearts to preach Christ, to proclaim his gospel, that the most loving thing you can do for someone alienated from God is let them know of their peril. The gospel is a message of warning from God. Has your sin come before God? Then rejoice. Because God has sent someone to warn you of his judgment. To warn you of the certainty of your being under his wrath forever in hell. And be encouraged by this. Just as the gospel is a message of warning from God, the gospel is a promise of mercy from God. Repent. Rescue is promised to those who run into the shelter from his wrath that he offers in Christ. Jonah, go to Nineveh with my message of mercy. Their wickedness has come up before me. I don't, I don't want them to perish in their sins. I'll not have that. Notice that Jonah gets straight to work. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. And he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. <laughs> Jonah didn't even wait Three days before he started proclaiming, he didn't tour the city first just to kind of check it out and see what he was dealing with. He just obeyed what God had given him to do. He began right away. And person after person heard the gospel plea, the cry of God's promise of judgment and promise of mercy to those who repent. And, and you've got to think, based on what we know of Jonah thus far, that he struggled with the same thing that you and I struggle with when it, when it comes to those people. When I use the term those people, somebody or some buddies pop into your minds, perhaps. Jonah looked upon the Ninevites with disregard and disgust. How could God possibly want to show compassion toward people who were so lacking in compassion? How could a holy God possibly bring to himself on friendly terms a people who were so wicked and so unholy? Well, there's only one way, and that's Jesus, right? The Bible says to us that Jonah is a sign pointing all people to Jesus. Jesus, the very Son of God, became man who, unlike Jonah, heard the word of the Father and only obeyed the Father in his humanity. God the Son obeyed when he left the glory of heaven and stepped into humanity, born a man to live among people like us. And Jesus obeyed when he lived out the very holiness of God in real time, day after day, in real relationships with real people in a world full of real problems. And he did so, not simply to show what it looks like, 
But he did so that he might serve us as our substitute. Because as was noted in our baptism time, Jesus took that perfect holy life to Calvary's cross and he took upon himself on that cross all of the wrath that every Ninevite had coming. That every sinner in this room who is, is um, in Christ had coming. And his body was placed in that tomb and he rose from the dead with the very power of God. God is sovereign. He has authority over all, th- you mean authority over death itself? Yes. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Does not amaze you beyond comprehension that Jesus took the wrath of God for your sin so that you might never taste the wrath of God for any sin, sinner that you are. Do you believe this? Are you glad for this? Have you told anybody? Well, that brings us to the miracle, doesn't it? We'll end with this. I told you just three things. A message a messenger, and now a miracle. Look at verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God. So the people of Nineveh believed God. should underline that in your friend's Bible. The people of Nineveh believed God. How do you explain that? I want you to notice that it doesn't say the Ninevites believed Jonah. Don't miss that. It's got nothing to do with that. The people of Nineveh believed God. But why would they believe Jonah? He's, he's, he's something of a mixed bag. Sent on a mission that makes no sense from a human perspective. With a message of warning and mercy that sounds too simple to be true. And yet the people respond. They believe. They repent. How do you explain that? Do you realize that there are scholars who say that, well, Jonah uh, must have arrived with a very polished presentation. I mean, his, the, the message was simple, but he was, he was obviously a very effective communicator. Um, okay. Um, others say that Jonah must have arrived in Nineveh at the same time there had been a natural disaster that got everybody... Natural disasters get people's attention, don't they? Um, um, uh, an apocalyptic event of some sort. uh, And Jonah just sort of capitalized on that. It was like a sweet spot in history where everybody... The thing of it is, is that to me is almost as silly as insisting that whales are by nature hospitable (laughs) to to people who end up in their mouths. I don't think they think that deeply. I I really don't. Um, See, it's not explained by any human means at all. It's not to do with that. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Salvation is not a work of man, it's a work of God. And God uses imperfect messengers. Are you an imperfect messenger? 
In fact, he preserves and prepares his people precisely for this purpose. But the power is not in the messenger, is it? The power is in the God of the message. And belief itself is a gift from God. It's a miracle. The new birth is a miracle of God. The great miracle in Jonah, let's just end with this. The great, the great miracle in Jonah is, is not so much the whale and all of that. It's the salvation of sinners in Nineveh. It is a miracle of God himself when anyone born dead in their trespasses and sins turns in repentance to God and turns by faith in God's rescue, simply the work of Christ for them. Has that miracle happened in your life? And when you experience a miracle, do you not want to tell somebody about it? Salvation is a miraculous work of God. And all whom God purposes to save will be saved. Not, not one will be lost. Why, why do I say that? Well, because that's what happened in Nineveh. But also to encourage us, friends, as those who are imperfect messengers, given a message to proclaim, that we do so with every reason to be confident in the God of the message. And with every reason to be confident that God is actually saving people. Still today, just like he was in Jonah's day. All right, that's it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the Savior you have given us in Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you have done everything necessary for sinners like us to be forgiven and restored and set on course as your children, your sons and daughters. We thank you that you've promised never to let go of us once you've got us. And Lord, you've, you've, you've preserved us and, and you've prepared us for the very purpose of telling others about you, about your wrath for sin and about your mercy towards sinners. Lord, I pray that you would so move among us that we would not be those who simply hear the word of the Lord, but Lord, we would arise and go and proclaim. We ask you this for your name's sake, that you would be glorified through your church. In Jesus' name, amen.